0: Welcome to With Intent, a podcast from IIT Institute of Design about how design permeates our world, whether we call it design or not. I'm Kristen Geekin. This week, I talk to John Veal. John Veal, with friend Jordan Campbell, is the co-founder of Altspace, an organization that focuses on the power of community. The Altspace Market is the organization's flagship program. With passion, faith, and a few friends, John and Jordan created their first market in a matter of hours in June 2020 in the Austin neighborhood of Chicago, the neighborhood they both call home. Altspace transformed an abandoned space into a communal free market, encouraging community members to give, take, and take care of one another. Now markets like the one first created in Austin exist across communities on Chicago's west and south sides. John and I talk about his commitment to Austin in the west side of Chicago, and how serving his community and making art come together. He starts us out by considering the importance of providing alternative spaces and alternative narratives to the ones we've come to know and accept.
1: Stories are not typically told by Black people for Black people, right? They're usually narratives that are put on Black people from another source, typically the white gays and what comes to mind for me is Du Bois, how he talked about, you know, the double consciousness of both just being an American and being Black, you know, and how the, these kind of dichotomies kind of intersect. And when Donald Trump is talking about the crime happening in Chicago, we know what he's talking about. You know what I'm saying? Like, no nobody's being stupid with it. Like, we know exactly who he's alluding to. We know he's alluding to race. You know, when I went to New York and they were talking about, oh, man, you from Chirac, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yo, like, that's crazy that that narrative kind of stuck, you know what I'm saying, of Chirac, of like the war zone, Gotham City. I was with a, a young man the other day, just on the corner, and he was just talking about how this is Gotham, you know, and what is Gotham known for? Gotham known is for its atrocious crime rate in which they needed a to come and clean up the streets because the police were actually corrupt. That's the narrative that we're fighting against, right? We're fighting against the fact that people Will say if there's a story about black spaces, it's typically about violence. You know, they use these different words like super predators. You know, anytime a black man is arrested, they immediately go to his jail record. But when someone else is arrested from another different color, predominantly white color, you know, it's not really about their jail record. It's like, oh, you know, this is what a shame. And, you know, they've got this family member and, you know, they've been doing this and doing that. It's like, well, this person has family too. Um, and so I think what we're trying to do is humanize. Let's just humanize. At the end of the day, the West Side has families. If, the, if, if you pull nothing else from what I've said, West Side has families.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about what you're focused on right now?
1: Sure, but before I do, you got to tell me, do you consider yourself a designer? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why, why not?
0: You know, I think there's a lot of different ways that people think about what design is and who is a designer and who can call themselves that. I uh, have never been trained as a designer. Uh, it's not the sort of lens through which I look at the world to be honest, although I'm becoming very familiar with it. I think of myself as a writer and a reader.
1: I love that. It's fun, you know, I'm a walking contradiction sometimes because it's, as much as I would say that I wouldn't consider myself a designer, There's this artist who I really look up to and he is a choreographer and a dancer. He's also a paraplegic. And so the way in which I understand dance is from the canon of ballet. It's from the canon of like hip hop and step and all these different things, break dancing. And for him to recontextualize dance meant, you know, for him to move across a floor, you know, the politics of space, all very choreographed in a very specific way. I met him when I was in my young 20s, so like 22, 23, and it kind of opened me up to the possibilities of contextualization. You understand this one thing to be this thing, but it also is not smooth into this box over here. And I think that's how I kind of like to look at projects, is like, I like to look at things with two birds and one stone. So right now, what Altspace has really been known for is the Altspace market. There's four markets in the city of Chicago. Currently, we had an outside evaluator come and evaluate the, the positivity and the negative effects of, of the markets. And so far, uh, the markets have fed 400 families a month, and they've also reduced crime by 19%. This is kind of acting as environmental justice, right? And, and when I mean environmental justice, anytime you talk about environmental justice, that term was kind of created in the late 70s, early 1980s. And it was really just about racism, you know, like how urban planners were put to work, you know, redlining communities and kind of separating amenities, you know, like if there's gonna be a landfill, let's not put it in the downtown metropolitan area, right? Let's put it where the black and brown folks are, you know, on the west and south sides of the city. The garbage that is in our communities is, is all by design. And so to see that our markets have had a positive effect on the community is, is incredible.
0: So we're talking about you know like the the spaces that you work in and how you're how as you said you know everyone deserves to to live in a beautiful safe space. You've also said that abandoned spaces indicate that there's something wrong with the system. So I wanted to talk a little bit about systems and how you started to see the underlying system and how you recognized it and if you could describe a little bit what might still be invisible to some people, but what what you see is the systems underlying these issues.
1: I can't remember saying the system's broken. i probably said that. But also at the same time, in the same breath, the system's working fine. The system is exactly how it should be. This is by design. You know, one out of three black men is in jail. That's not an accident. That's by design. What we have been doing that is called activist and but it's not activist in nature. It's just being a regular human being is being able to call out the inadequacy of the system and say that, hey, like this over here, this is a problem and this can be felt. I just gotta give context, I think, of the west side of Chicago. Like Austin is the largest geographical area of Chicago. It's the second largest in terms of population in the city of Chicago. Um, and yet you go to the neighboring community of Oak Park and there's not a blade of grass that's out of place. You know, um, Oak Park, you have, tributes to Frank Lloyd Wright you have tributes to Ernest Hemingway and there's a bench and there's a garbage can on every corner but you go to Austin literally cross the street you know maybe two or three houses down and there's there's no garbage bin there's no there's no bench you know it's just like there's trash everywhere and you know people kind of just have to fend for themselves here and it's like well, well wait a minute' we're, we're part of the same place you know we, we share the same space but because the population changes, you know, we have less, you know, that's a discrepancy of the city. That's by design.
0: At ID, we talk a lot about focusing, uh, starting with problems rather than starting with solutions so that you don't want to shoehorn a solution into a space that doesn't fit. So you want to like really focus on what is the problem you're trying to solve and then and go in, in that direction and, and find a solution once you really understand the problem. I wonder if you have, how you think about this sort of working with the community that in order to make sure that you are creating something that works for and with the community, that you're not just lobbing something into that space that isn't gonna be beneficial.
1: Yeah, there's this really great book. It's, how, it's, it's called uh, When Helping Hurts. And I've been reading it a lot. I love that level of care that people take into and consideration that they take in before you introduce something new to people. For us, we we approach things from a needs-based analysis perspective. And so understanding the needs is crucial. And so we don't assume the needs, we kind of just we live in these communities you know we walk around and we see we ask questions we ask neighbors and we see what's up you know we also look at city data city data you know we look at police reports we look at you know infrastructure reports we have conversations with community members and organizations other institutions that have been doing the work for a very long time 30 40 plus years but to be real even realer than that sometimes it, there's nothing wrong with just and stuff I think that designing for others, you have to be an auteur. And I, I don't say this in every circle, but I'll say that this here in this circle. This is the way I, I lead. I have learned early on, you know, when I when I left high school, I ran a clothing line for about two years. And what I learned about my employees is that like if I gave them too many options, they would have like a little bit of fear with choosing anything. And so I was like, "All right, cool. Well, I have to kind of take choice away from the equation a little bit, not too much." And so um, this this isn't regularly said, but if there's a hundred colors, I'll choose three colors that really, really work, um, and I'll do research on those colors. I'll ask a small group of people about those colors. And Then, from those from those hundred colors, I'll show my team these three colors and say, "Okay, what do you guys think about these three? Like, can you choose one from here?" And I think that's kind of how we look at community projects It's like, all right, like we have this skill set. We can do this because if, if I bring in a group of people, a group of neighbors, and I say, hey, guys, we want to do this. And what do you guys think? There might be 100 ideas that come out of that meeting. The meeting might be two hours and there might not be a lot of progress in there. But if I come with a vision and say, hey, guys, here's what's going on and here's a couple ways to solve it. Here's the three that we can do, <laughs> right? With our budget and you know, our skill set. Like this is number one, two, and three. What y'all think? And from there the project might evolve and might change. You know, neighbors might say they, they need more of this than that, you know, and, and they might say, Well, maybe this isn't a problem at all. Maybe we should go back to the drawing board. It's like, all right, cool, like that, 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 that works as well. But I like to go in with a with a plan. I like to go in with what I'm called to do, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. Um, You had mentioned that faith comes into your practice a fair amount. And so when you say that, that's what makes me think of your reference to, you know, what I'm called to do makes me think of that. So can you tell me a little bit about the role of faith in your practice and in your in alt
1: space? Faith pours into everything that we do, everything. Um, We're trying to be intentional, like every screw matters because when you're building a structure, the last thing you need is for like things to be kind of unsettled or maybe the math is wrong and it's uneven and you don't want these things to come down or hurt anybody. So you have to take your time, right? But at the same time, in my faith, Jesus was never too busy to come and stop and talk to people. When I think about his life, he was based in service you know he would serve and give and he would teach people he wouldn't judge people and you know he, he'd stay with them and a lot of people judged him like hey man like you're you're hanging out with the tax collector or hey you're hanging out with that guy over there he drinks a lot you know what i'm saying you drink a lot you know that he was being judged because he was hanging out with the people that needed him most and so i think the same with AltSpace space is like what we ultimately are as an arts ministry We're we're not preachy we're not really trying to convert anybody we just believe this is what we're called to do with the skills that we have even with my first show like five six years ago black River steal away i created the ten commandments there are two black slate tablets that come off of the roof of saint lawrence church on the south side of chicago now saint lawrence was a church that couldn't be saved the, the company i was working at the time we tried to save the building we couldn't save the building but we bought the roof and I was able to get two pieces of slate from the roof. So me and my friends, we laser cut in the new rules. The rules that like your your, your grandma, your mom, your auntie would tell you growing up, you know, like don't start now won't be none. You know what I'm saying? Or like like rules you would need to live in the hood. And so we built an arc for that recently, like two years ago out of found wood from the west and south sides. And so just going around to empty lots, going around, you know what I'm saying? To like behind liquor stores and finding wood and then like measuring it out and making it super clean. Um, Yeah, but there's there's something really sacred to me about that church. The community could no longer support this church and the hope of this community went with this church. As the church became more and more vacant, the hope in the space became more and more vacant to the point in which it collapsed, right? To the point in which it could not be saved but we were able to save the roof. We were able to save the the foundations, right? And from that foundation, we were able to create a little bit of law that we carry in. So like when I have a, a show at a fancy space, they see the remains of something that was sacred. Yeah. You know, I think that touches people in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then living by that sacredness too, it's like, it's not just the object that's important. The work is important. The way that we serve is like, we're not just surveying people and then walking away. It's like, you want to give us much dignity, as much pride, you know what I'm saying? These are my friends, these are my family. You know, let's have a conversation, how you doing? You know, like, what, what you been up to? What's your plans for this summer? How's COVID been treating you, man? You know, it's been a little rough for me, you know, personally, and that takes a lot of like vulnerability. So I think that's the number one lesson that most people have kind of come to know when it comes to kind of community building is that it takes a lot of humility that our practice takes 10 years to build trust and one day to lose that trust.
0: Yeah. Well, and then the other thing that you're remarking upon is, you know, the, the difference between, you know, your art practice and alt space. I mean, obviously there's plenty of similarities too, but it's from a design perspective, sounds to me like the difference between, you know, creating an object or a product and creating an experience the experience that you're describing the collaboration part of it is very important
1: it's central to it i think that that i want to spend time on that when it comes to collaboration it, the reason why it's fluid is because it started with my art practice it started with me not being able to create a boat and make a successful oil painting at the same time it's like i have to choose one i have to be committed to one and so i have to bring in jordan campbell like hey jordan I actually need you to build something that you've never built before. Or, hey, Starlotta, I can dance, but I can't dance and stay as intense as I want to. So I kind of need you to dance, you know what I'm saying, And, and be with me in this process. And my relationship with Starlotta, my relationship with Jordan Campbell, my relationship with Monica Benson and Chris Calderon, my relationship changed the nature of the show because they would add things. They would say, this doesn't work, but this works. And, you know, because they themselves are experts in their own fields. Um, And so it became more of a conversation that we were having. My practice was really modeled after like method acting in a sense of like, how can we as a group immerse ourselves into something for as long as possible? And then it became kind of more structural, right? Like, all right let's do an artist retreat and so it started in my apartment you know we called it haven and then we did it for two or three iterations along with the exhibitions and then the exhibitions felt a little bit one year they felt satisfying the next year they felt like shackles you know they felt like I'm kind of doing more harm than good because I'm looking around and we're all talking about trauma we're all trying to kind of express this and understand this in similar ways but I'm not interested in like understanding trauma anymore it's like how do we move past that you know we need black industry we need institutional power and so when I think about powers and when I think about capital the ones that I that I stay on in my head is you know there's economic capital cultural capital institutional capital and then there's human capital right and so most people trade their human capital, for economic capital. You know, they trade hours of their life, their labor, they trade that for for liquid, for cash, for... And then they might get land, which is cool, which is, you know, economic capital. But I started seeing there's other ways that people are able to build power. You know, this institutional, Capital was really important. The social capital is really important. You know, social capital is just everybody you know. You know, how can you leverage that? You know what I'm saying? That's Instagram at the end of the day. You know, that's social media. Institutional capital was like the places that we're not. um, The places that we don't have voice. Or if you have voice, you don't have equity. Meaning the MCA might give you a show, but you you don't have a say in as, as to like what the exhibitions might look like or who these things can serve. And so for us, Alt space ultimately was like, man, people on the West Side are brilliant. You know, like there's so many talented, amazing artists. There's so many amazing people and they need a platform. We need to be that platform. We need to see the change that we want to be.
0: So we talked about this importance of or the, the belief that everyone deserves to live in beautiful spaces. You've also said as part of that, you know, something should remain here after us so i wonder if you could talk a little bit about you know what you're trying to build with alt space outside of what you're actually building but like what you're trying to build maybe for from more of a legacy point of view
1: that's a tricky one i think when i talk about legacy there's a temptation to kind of Indulged with an ego, you know, what I'm saying a personal legacy. Right. What, what keeps me grounded when I think about personal legacy is I think about John Johnson. You know, I spent a lot of time with John Johnson's collection, you know, the Ebony and Jet collection. And it's just funny to me because it's like, man, John Johnson was killing it. G. Like he he was the first black owner of real estate on the Michigan mile. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he the ebony building, you know, where every room is you know, the, the carpets, the the wallpaper, you know, yeah, artists like the Jackson, Stevie Wonder, you know, Al Green, everybody coming and visit them, Muhammad Ali, you know, he's got this amazing archive. And, you know, there's not a beauty supply or, you know, a barbershop that I know of that wouldn't have an Ebony around in that store somewhere. You know what I'm saying? It might be in the basement, but they got it somewhere. And that's how much it meant, not just to Chicagoans, but to like, people of this world, you know, people of this nation, specifically Americans and how we as black and brown folks thought about ourselves and even how other people thought of us too. Um, And within one generation, we have forgotten John Johnson's name. Like if I ask a kid on the street today, if I even ask one of my peers, you know, someone who's in their mid twenties, late twenties, hey man, you know who John Johnson is? A lot of people might not, No.
0: No, I think you're totally right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying?
1: Like that's the question for Google. I think that's a shame, but I also think that keeps me grounded in a sense of like, you know, the things that we're able to push, we might not be able to make permanent change because permanence in our world is is not sustainable really. But what we are able to do is push the needle forward just a little bit for someone else to be able to take up the baton. Uh, that keeps me grounded and that keeps me encouraged when it comes to personal legacy. It's like just doing the best that we know how to do. And they're, you know, the next director of AltSpace will be able to do things. And so to, to ensure that, you know, I'd like to share that we did a couple things to ensure legacy. Just like a university when they're getting started, they do a couple legal things as well. The first thing we did was, you know, start with a strong board. You know, our board is amazing. You know, we have Norman Teague, you know, Joy Freeman. Chris Paisley. The reason it's so diverse, you know, Norman Teague is a designer. He's well known in Chicago. He's over here working on the Obama Foundation Library. You have Joy Freeman. Joy Freeman um, is a finance, financial guru for us, but she used to had the marketing and coordination of Claire's uh, throughout the nation and YMCA. And so she's got amazing connections, you know, and then you have Chris Paisley, who works with the Surge Institute, you know, which Which the Surge Institute is the teachers for the teachers, you know they work within pedagogy and that's important for us because for us, what we need is we need help with the narrative. So understanding relationships with the press understanding relationships with community narrative right so when you think Austin instead of thinking Texas you'll think the west side of Chicago, so that means we need disruptive. Art that is able to be sustainable and at the same time penetrate people's hearts so storytelling, so we need someone who's helping us with storytelling, we need someone with education and then with norm he's always super helpful for us in a sense of disciplinary standards like design implies function. So it has to function right. You know, if we introduce a garbage bin, people need to know it's a garbage bin and not just a piece of wood. And he helps us a lot with those kind of conversations. And then me and Jordan are the artists, right? You know, like we're gonna continue to, to be the artists and to be vanguards, whatever. The the, the the second thing that we did was super important is that we gave ourselves lifelong board member seats. Um, the reason that's important is because a lot of people can get voted out of their own companies once they introduce board members that they don't know. We wanted to prevent that from happening. We've seen that even happen, you know, like how black artists are just screwed, you know, Prince spent a whole career talking about that. You know what I'm saying? Like from our understanding of black music, we understand how we have to protect ourselves, even from friends sometimes. And then uh, the other part of that is succession rights is that we get to choose our successors. Jordan has a successor, I have a successor, and our successor will be able to have those lifelong seats. So that's really important in, in terms of building black equity, because that means that it's not just the voice that me and Jordan have, but whoever we choose is gonna be able to have long-term voice within their block, within their space as well.
0: You mentioned recently activism, and and you also said you, know, you don't consider yourself an activist, you again, consider yourself an artist. But you're an artist, from what I can tell, right, that's practicing design, that's practicing public service. So maybe you could just talk a, a little bit about why you lead with that identifier of artist, And then you're using these other disciplines or tools to, to practice your art, I suppose. Uh, I don't know how, how how you think about it.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, by trade, the thing I love to do is draw. I'm also a great painter as well, you know, specifically with acrylics, but I can get down with you know oils or, or watercolors, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm a very good draftsman and I'm an even better writer. Like I write every day. I'm I'm very similar to you in that regard, you know, that words carry a certain amount of energy. I can dabble between ink drawing and a sculpture is in the same way that alt space can dabble within urban planning, architecture design and community service projects. It's the same thing. We think that the, the capacity of artist is big enough. You know, I think that when we think artists, we're not thinking big enough. We're thinking small, that an artist puts stuff in in galleries and walks away. And I'm like, well the people that I look up to didn't do that. You know, like David Hammonds was an incredible artist. You know, but he was out there like in the in the dead of winter. <laughs> rolling up snowballs and selling them back to people, you know, and calling it Blizzard Ball, you know, calling that a piece. I mean, like, that's amazing. When Ai Weiwei takes a vase and like drops it, you know, this mid-century vase and, you know, understanding the crash that's happening both literally and figuratively, I think he's working with something else. And so what an artist does is an artist plays with ideas. And I also, this is very unique to me, when I think about an artist and our role, for me, an artist is a very talented liar. That's what we do. We lie. Like when you look at a Van Gogh painting about labor, talking about people in minds, you know, in their hands and, and the den lines of the fields. I mean, he paints a flower. He's not really painting a flower. It's not a real flower. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You walk in there and you, it's it's just some marks that's on a canvas. You know, it's trying to represent something else. It's trying to talk about beauty. It's, t- it's trying to talk about people. And I think for us, when I use activism as a medium, when I use gathering as a medium, we're not talking about the form, but we're trying to use it to talk about something else.
0: Bringing all these kind of these different definitions and terms back together at the end of the day, what unites them? What brings it together for you? What do you, do you say to yourself if you ask yourself, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I making this?" Is there a common answer for everything that you're working on?
1: You know, recently I was discouraged. I was on the phone with another like artist slash designer who I really look up to and admire. And this person had said, man, you guys were like rock stars, you know, back back in the day, like a year ago. And it kind of hurt my feelings because even though it wasn't like intentional to hurt my feelings, it felt like a very, oh, you guys haven't done anything in a while. I'm like, well, wait a minute, man. Like we, we create like every day, you know, we're out in the, in the street every day. We're talking to our neighbors every day. Kind of hurt my feelings. Cause it's like, not every space is public. A lot of spaces are private, but it also brought me back to my root is that we don't create for public. You know, that, that was kind of the problem with the exhibitions. They become very exploitative, self-exploitative in a sense of like, you, sell like, you feel like you're selling your story you feel like a salesman, you know, and I, I don't like feeling like a salesman. There's a reason I don't do sales. Anyway, it brings me back to my root, which is my faith. Both things seen and unseen. All that matters is that it, it, it brings honor and glory to him, ultimately for me. There's a lot of things that we do that were unpopular at the time, but they served the people later. For instance, when we first came out with the market, it was like 3,000 people liked the photo, you know, like over a hundred comments or like, where's this at? And me and Jordan had to have a moment where we talked about it as partners and we just decided, no, we're not going to, we're not going to share it publicly where it is. This is just for the block and those who live on the block will know about it. That was unpopular, man. And I think we were scared. We were going to get like canceled. It's like, yo, we can get, you know what I mean? We live in a fragile world right now. You know what I'm saying? But we're not going to be people pleasers either. We know who this work is for, and I think the people on the block really appreciated that. They felt protected. They felt loved. That's why it was such a hard conversation for us because it comes from a place of love, loving our neighbors. You know, just like we, you know, we wouldn't want someone to do that on our block. To us personally, that would feel exploitative. And so for us, the the through line with both the company, our faith. In the personal realm, art, all of that kind of stuff is is the same.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's clear to you and you can, you know, go to work and create every day because you have a, a clear focus, a clear purpose, a clear mission. And it might look, it might have very different faces. As you said before, it's polyvalent. But at the end of the day, you're after the same thing.
1: So recently we were hired by 360 Nation, well, not recently, they really hired us a year ago. Like the weather was starting to get kind of cold, it was getting chilly, it was like September. And so we decided to wait until the summer to kind of build this pergola. And we designed it together and we talked about it and the functionality of it. The reason why is this, there's this empty lot um, in Lawndale and they've ca- kind of taken over this empty lot, you know what I'm saying, gangster style. It's like, yo man, like we we, we, we gonna put some raised beds up in this joint, you know what I'm saying? We, we, you know, we gonna get some tires and paint them and make an like, area for the kids. And, and so there's been a lot of activation right here on the block. Kind of just this statement of like, man, we're not gonna go through the bureaucracy of the city or, and wait a hundred years. We're not gonna pay so X and X amount of money. It's on our block. Our kids already kind of hang out here. Let's just take care of the things that are on our block. Let's just take care of the things that we believe in. And in an effort to get people to stay, because a lot of people have been moving out the neighborhood. And we need those cultural amenities, those things that kind of should be there. For us, when we heard about it and we came and visited the space, we were so inspired. It's like, man, this is such a great idea. It's so good to see people plant themselves, you know, where they are and put down their personal stamp. Like this is who I am, this is this block is my family and I'm gonna fight for my family. And so for us, um, it was like, yeah, what do you guys need? The need was, you know, if it's raining, if it's bad weather, if it's snowing, people go inside because they're exposed. And so for us, the solution was like, all right, well, what about, what if we created some overhead? You know, like a little shelter for people, like a pergola. And then, you know, the ideas started flowing, you know, like they were like, ooh, then we could bring in our smoker we could start like having barbecues, blah, blah, And, you know, like all these great ideas. And that's what kind of makes a, a space special, right? And I think for us is like, all right, man, like I understand, like I, I spent a lot of time working in different capacities with nonprofits and I spent a lot of time with urban planners. So it's like, I understand that the reason why the South side feels really taken care of right now and where I don't. You know, we didn't plant our flag over there, is because number one, my family is from the west side of Chicago. It's like my grandma, my aunties, my uncle—they all live on the west side, and so it's like I want to be where my family is. At the end of the day, number two is the south side's really taken care of. Like there's like a million nonprofits on the south side. You know what I'm saying? Like there's so many people doing really, really great work. We don't need to kind of reinvent that wheel. We're trying to move that wheel forward, right? And so. Understanding that the south side has the library that's coming through. It's got this big old university that keeps taking over buildings, right? The number one gentrifier, low key. It's got this beautiful lake, got the beach, all these different museums. We're not needed in that capacity over there. On the west side, what you got? Factories that moved away 10, 15 years ago. Church on every block. You have got a lot of liquor stores and you've got family. And so it's like, for us, it's like, all right, cool. We need to be where the family are. You know, We need to be where the people are. Just as we're creating this space for this other nonprofit so that they can be able to gather and meet in a safe environment, we're also creating a safe environment where we are. And that's kind of the goal. The, the goal is to create a repository. The goal is to create a safe space. The goal is to create a healing space, You know, a space in which we can come together as a people uh, we can share one another's stories through painting, through photography, through poetry, that we can heal one another using, you know, talking about food and, and platforms. And like, you know, this is a food apartheid. And so what we're doing is we're, we're leveling that playing field. Like, all right, there's 5,000 abandoned buildings in Austin. How can these abandoned spaces serve the people of the space? How can we make public space a little bit more public? We think about that a lot.
0: How do you define
1: design? Design for me is when intentionality meets form meets service. That little circle of intentionality, form, and service. Intentionality, form, and service. And so you might intend for something, right, and then it creates, it it turns into this certain form. And then it intends to serve people, but sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't work. You know, sometimes you design a basketball rim that's square, you know, when it really should have been a circle and people complain about it. People gonna let you know, hey, this don't work, you know? And so then you have to go back to your intentionality and then it takes another form, you know? So it's this this growing conversation. It's this growing circle because time is not linear. You know, time is cyclical. We all are formed by our patterns.
0: Thank you to John Veal, a 2021 Latham Fellow at ID, for joining me today. You can learn more about John and Altspace on the IIT Institute of Design website, id.iit.edu podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review with intent on your favorite service. This is a new show, and your support really helps. Our theme music comes from ID alum Aditya Ravi. Until next time.